I have bunnies in my backyard. They're kind of like goats. I can have them on the podcast. I thought you were going to take that in a much darker direction to try to convince us to stay on or else you I'm would. I'm not going to murder the bunnies in my backyard. That is awful. I would have left anyway. <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> I would not have given in to Ben's demands. I would have been like, that's too bad for those rabbits. It'll be fine. Jason Anderson does not negotiate with terrorists. I get, there's like seven of them or otherwise. They seem nice, but I mean, it, it, that does it for me. I don't need Ben to have them too. <laughs> I can live with a finite number of, of rabbits. These the are Virginia world. bunnies. They're probably pretty much the same. Are they brown? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Fuzzy, adorable. Yep. Yeah. Eat, eating plants. They're babies. Around, They're babies. Running away when when something gets close to them. The tiniest bunny was terrorizing the other two slightly larger bunnies. It was adorable. When I was little, like four or five, we had rabbits in our front yard, um, and I remember one of them coming up to sniff me. It, it was a rabbit without fear. And I went up to sniff, or to, to not to sniff it, to pet it. <laughs> Being a little boy, I wanted to go pet the bunny rabbit. And my Adam, mom, like, Adam sniffs bunnies. Yeah. And my mom, like, grabbed me and swooped me up and ran me inside as if the bunny was going to hurt me. I mean, it does have the big, sharp, pointy teeth. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as usual, by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us and others writing about DC United, MLS, the Women's World Cup, and much more. We've got a second consecutive big show for you this week. Hopefully we don't go as close to an hour and a half as we did last week, but I make no promises. Eight hours. Oh, God, that, that just tied in so well for you, didn't it, Ben? Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about DC United's loss to Toronto FC last weekend. We're going to be talking some off-the-field news that was made yesterday and today and kind of a response to last week's news uh, in the stadium hunt arena. The stadium uh, arena. Yeah, the stadium arena. Yeah. Uh, we are going to preview DC United's trip to Orlando to play Orlando City, and we're going to talk some Women's World Cup. All of that coming up, but before we get to any of it, Ben, what are you drinking? So I just took to my larder, my MMO grill, right before the show, uh, in a frenzy of confusion and haste, and I had tequila, I had lime juice, I had a little bit of triple sec, I made a margarita. Excellent. And margaritas over the weekend. Only make your margaritas with 100% agave tequila. Don't buy uh, Jose Cuervo. Yeah, don't don't That's ever drink Cuervo. That's some bullshit. It's it's 60% vodka. It also it just it's really bad. You can get a cheap it's tequila. Very that, yes, exactly. You can get cheap tequila that is 100% agave. Please do that to yourself. Love yourself. You're worth it. Buy 100% agave. What you're saying is treat yourself. I am at the very least, yourself. At, at the very least, do not loathe yourself by feeding yourself Cuervo. <laughs> Don't do that to yourself. Exactly. Jason, what are you doing to yourself tonight? Especially not Pepe Lopez. Uh, I promised uh, history on the, the podcast Twitter feed, and I'm, I'm, for the first time on the show, drinking wine. Wow. Not champagne. Wait, 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 wait. I, know, I know there was champagne, but this is wine. Wait. Are you fancy. 
So you drank Virginia beer last week. You're drinking yes. wine this week. What, what, yes. What's, what's happening? Uh, last week is because we did the beer trade. Uh, the wine this time is because I uh, it's been sitting there for a while, and I felt like I needed to get it, get it out. Get out Here, of there. Here's my alternative. Theory. It was re-gifted to me, and so I'm re-gifting it to myself. You're re-gifting it to your liver. Also, I've already had half the bottle, and I've got the rest of it. It's it's not it's not going to last. <laughs> my alternative theory, Jason. Yeah. Is that you were holding your identical twin brother in a in a prison cell, and he escaped with the help of your bodyguards and body switched you, and you are your do twin you, brother. Do you think this is like? Do you think this is similar to the plot of the movie Face Off? Because it's not. No, I was going Man in the Iron Mask. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I also thought Face Off. <laughs> Damn it. Or, or <laughs> as I prefer to pronounce it, Face Off, because there's a slash. There is uh, Face Slash Off. And it shouldn't off. really be there, so you have to do something with it, whether it is to pronounce the slash or to simply acknowledge its existence with silence. Anyway, the wine I am drinking is uh, Kung Fu Girl Riesling. Uh, it is from... Washington State, uh, Charles Smith Wines. I'm reading off the bottle because I did not know any of this until just now. Um, it's pretty good, actually. Um, I looked it up uh, before to figure out what I had on my, my hands here, and it's a pretty highly rated wine that's apparently a good value. But it good was gifted to me, so I don't actually know. It has a drawing of a woman who probably knows Kung Fu on the label. Hence the name. Right. So, wait, is it Keanu Reeves? No, it, it is well. I, I guess it could be because the the drawing of the woman doesn't have all the facial features. The eyes and nose are missing. Um, so it could be Keanu Reeves wearing lipstick and with a wig. That sounds um, horrifying. No, it's not. It, it just you know a little abstract. That's all. Anyway, I am drinking Bell's Oberon ale. Oh, that's a good one. Um, it is, and they had it at the grocery store, and I felt like a wheat beer, and this is a very good wheat beer. And I, I was thinking about lying and saying I thought about Bells being from Michigan and Michigan being close to Canada in celebration of the World Cup, but no, it had nothing to do with that. I just wanted a wheat beer. And there was Bells, and so I got Bells, Oberon. And Indiana touches Michigan. Yeah, no, that, no. But it does. It does, but No. But you're also from as far away in Indiana as basically you can be from Michigan. That is correct. I am from the very southwestern tip of the state. That's right. Yes. Let's turn our attention from the booze to the soccer. DC United 1, Jovinko FC 2. Uh, DC United flipped the script of recent weeks. Uh, they actually scored early. They scored first. They didn't come from behind. But they allowed Toronto FC to come from behind. Uh, after Steve Birnbaum's opener, his first MLS goal, yay, Birnbaum, hashtag Birnbaum. Uh, they gave up two goals, both to Sebastian Jovinko. Um, the loss ends DC United's 20-game home beaten streak. Uh, the last home loss for DC United was last summer during the, the Men's World Cup when Chad Barrett scored uh, a looping header to beat DC United 1-0. Again, a game in which DC was playing on short rest and without several starters. So, so my first question, um, Ben, is, is should DC United just stop 
playing game home games during World Cups. Because yep. that seems to be yep. the only time we lose at home. Yes. <laughs> That's science. It, it, it is science. Hard-hitting analysis. It's very empirical. Uh, it's, it's supported by the scientific method, and <laughs> we should petition Don Garber and present our scientific facts and just be like, uh, QED. <laughs> if we're going to petition Don Garber, there are, there are a lot of things ahead of no more home games during men's and women's World Cups. Well, yeah, I could be. We could first argue. Hey, can you give us some back money for not supporting our stadium bid, like you did all of the other stadium bids? But could you maybe not schedule us for a hundred games in June or May? May? Yeah, maybe, maybe. But um, yeah. All right, J- Jason. I want to talk about the the game winner. Here because sure. uh, there was some talk about the defense on it letting Jovinko get a relatively open shot, but in my mind that goal was entirely okay. on Luis Silva. The, if anyone needs a refresher, we were in possession in our own half. Uh, the defense plays the ball up to Luis Silva right at midfield. He's really casual on it, gets knocked off by, I don't remember if it was Osorio or Cherry or who, who it was, but... He gets knocked off the ball very, very easily. One pass to Jovinko, who doesn't even really make a move and and scores a wonder goal. It was a Galazzo, no doubt, from distance and moving and uh, beat Andrew Dykstra. But for me, that goal was on Luis Silva. What do you say? Uh, I mean, first of all, when when a goal is scored of that much skill... um, Every goal, every goal that's ever been scored, you can blame on someone to a certain extent. But I mean, if a guy's going to score a goal, uh, you know, 35 yards into the bottom corner, uh, like that is not really the the worst goal in the world to give up. Right. Um, I do agree that the turnover from Silva is pretty careless. Um, he's one of the players that shouldn't be lacking in energy at this point. Um, and it seemed like a tired play, despite the fact that he's one of the guys that didn't really have the excuse of being tired like most of the rest of the team. Um, but yeah, the defense should be a little closer and that you shouldn't have the turnover in midfield, but, um, it's a, it's a tired play. Um, if Silva makes that turnover and everyone's fresh, the defense is in a better position. There are midfielders in a better position. Um, if DC isn't chasing the game, there are players in better defensive positions there where that space isn't as open. So instead of letting up an uncontested shot, we're seeing the typical DC United shot against, which is to say Tiovenko is, is falling down because he's being barged into by somebody while he's trying to shoot, which is why we don't give up very many goals. This is a major thing that DC United is good at. Um, but it, I, mean, I guess the goal kind of encapsulated the performance where the whole team was just exhausted and Toronto essentially was a... Um, maybe there was a half an hour in the first half where they were an excellent team. They really had DC pinned back, but for the other 60 minutes, it was kind of a one-man show for TFC, and um, sometimes uh, when you're one man is one of the best players in the league and costs millions of dollars and the other team is dead tired, these things happen. And wasn't that... Didn't DC United play five games in the same stretch that Toronto played two games? Not, That's right. Not that I'm trying to make excuses, but but if you were, that would be but if I were, high on the that, list. That's fairly indicative. Well, 
And, and the, the whole game was just, it was a tired soccer game. Um, even the first two or three minutes before there were any goals in the game, there were a few, like, very sloppy turnovers from D.C., and it was like, they look tired already. Um, they just look like there's nothing in the tank, and we're, we're just starting. Um, and the fact that Toronto then, after the goal, maybe around the 15th minute, really seized control of the game and, and pretty much spent the whole rest of the half camped out in D.C.'s end, that just adds, you know, if you're already tired, the last thing you need is to spend half an hour defending. And Toronto, to their credit, did a good job of that. And, and then in the second half, they did a good job of forcing D.C. to play down the left with um, when Connor Doyle moved out to the left when Nick DeLeon came in. It was Doyle and Birnbaum on the same flank, which was pretty a pretty obvious strategy at that point. Is, well, let's let them have the ball and make them do all the creating because Steve Birnbaum is not a left back. Connor Doyle doesn't really create as a wide midfielder and uh, they were perfectly happy to give those guys a lot of touches and they got a lot of touches and, you know, I can't really get too mad at them for not succeeding because they weren't really in positions that they are much good at. So Ben, the next thing on my list here is, is what needs to improve before we face Orlando on the weekend. Um, I'm going to rephrase that a little bit too, other than, you know, having a full week's off rest, uh, and I do mean a full week because we don't, the, the game doesn't happen until Sunday uh, down in Orlando, so except for a little bit of travel down the East Coast to to Florida, is rest really the, the biggest thing that, that the team needs to focus on this week, and, or, or what else do they, should they be working on in training? I mean, rest is the main factor in so many regards. Hopefully, one of Chris Korb or Taylor Kemp will be back uh, for the game on Sunday. Um, Steve Birnbaum has played okay, but he's obviously not a left back. And I will uh, say he did have he did have you know he had his ups and downs, especially against Jovinko. Um, but he did have one really good moment where he was stride for stride with Jovinko running down a ball, and he, he out-muscled him, which, you know, isn't all that difficult when Jovinko's not already on the ball, but he managed to keep up with him in a in a foot race and use his body very intelligently, which right. was, which is nice to see, but I, I, I just wanted to give him props for, for that play, at least. No, of course, and that's why you could definitely argue he should be starting at center back over Kofi Apari, but if either Chris Corb or Taylor Kemp is healthy, they oh, obviously sure. start over him at left back. Um, but, I mean, other than that, I mean, DC United still has the second highest points per game in the league right now. They're second in the Supporters, Steel, uh, supporters Shield standings. First in the East by a healthy margin. By a healthy margin. And, yeah, I think it's been a brutal May. It's been a brutal beginning of June. Uh, they're going to get a little bit of break, hopefully. I mean, this week they're going to get a full week off, and hopefully that allows all of their injured players to come back to be uh, closer to health, to be uh, at least available off the bench. I mean, Pontius, need Silva slowly coming back. It's it's been a, it's been a rough couple of weeks, and that I think they've done a fairly good job of it uh, throughout this month of May, dealing with the injuries that they've had, 
and the extreme uh, schedule schedule uh, congestion that they've had as well. Yeah, one one correction for you. DC United right now are in first place in the Supporter Shield, second place on points per game, but. Oh, they beat it out over Seattle for the. Yeah, two points. Okay, okay. Two points over Seattle, but but the Sounders have two games in hand. Yeah, basically. So because this, I think the Sounders also lost. Yeah, they lost one nothing. They uh, lost to Kansas Sporting City. KC oh, yeah, that's right. yeah, over the weekend, so they didn't gain any ground. Um, ha, sorry. Yes, Jason. What else do we need to remember from this game against the Fighting Jovinkos? I mean, this game, not a whole lot. The team is so tired that it sort of overwhelms any other concerns. Um, we saw, you know, Fabian Espindola getting mugged repeatedly by Damian Perkis thanks to some uh, extraordinarily permissive refereeing. Um, anyone that was at least at the stadium. It, it, on TV, yeah. people might not have caught it, but in the stadium before the ball arrived, Perkis pretty much made sure to kick or shove Espindola every single time the ball came near, and his booking ended up being for dissent. Uh, so good job, uh, MLS referees. Um, was it a Yes, yeah, it was more um, But anyway, um, the, they, mainly they just need they need to rest up. Um, but I think the thing that concerns me, given the way the two games against Orlando have gone, is that United needs to be much better in possession than they've been. Um, and fresher legs will help that because you'll have players who aren't thinking with tired brains. They're not running on tired legs. They're getting into good positions um, to receive the ball. As much as as much as possession, we think of the person passing it. A lot of the times, it's it's the what you're doing without the ball, and in the games against Orlando that we've seen, United hasn't really been that good uh, without the ball, and they need to do much more there because Orlando is still going to have a lot of possession. They've started to figure some things out. Um, they've they've gotten a little better. They they're not just Kaká by himself anymore, which is what was going on for a while there. Um, so they they need to make sure it's not just Orlando pinning them back for 90 minutes because then all the good all the good that the rest of this week did it, it kind of goes out the window because they play Orlando on turf and then three days later are in Pittsburgh uh, for the Open Cup. So um, we're back. It's a one week off. It's not many weeks off. Um, yeah. So keeping the ball is going to be big short term in that game and then long term as well because the more you keep the ball the less tired you end up at the end of the game is the general... It's not always true, but it's generally true. Um, so that's what I want to see. When when they when the team reconvenes, I think they had um, two days off, and then today was the first day back at training. Um, the focus should be on better possession and not making the game so hard on themselves, which they've, they've tended to do a few times too many. Um, now that you're not... Now, now that United is not in a five games in 15 days stretch, um, they might be able to regroup a little bit and spend a few, spend a, a little bit of training time just on like a new plan on rotation because you don't, you certainly don't want to see um, kind of how things ended up where the rotation plan kind of went out the window just because there was no one else. I mean, it was the same, a lot of the same players started those last two games and there's no one to turn to. Um, Jalen Robinson came back from the Tulum tournament. He might get into one of these games. I, I would expect to see him at the Open Cup um, now that he's back. And, and the Tulum tournament went pretty well for that group. So um, maybe he can take that good experience and then transfer it over to the point that, you know, we've been concerned about 
depth at fullback all season, well, maybe Robinson can establish that he's a guy worth uh, rotating in sometimes. So those are some things that are going on. But the main thing is just keep the ball, make the game easier on yourselves than the game, the last game against Orlando when, um, or the last visit to Orlando, I should say, when basically Silva scored the free kick and the rest of the game was just a uh, a constant defensive be- uh, drill. Um, that's was not, Bill Hamid being Bill Hamid. Right. Um, Bill Hamid had still what I'm still saying is the best individual performance of an MLS player this season anywhere in the league. Um, it, that shouldn't happen. Um, and just because you're on the road doesn't mean it should happen. Um, and so they need to and. Part of that is, you know, stopping Orlando from keeping the ball, but also you've got to do a better job of just keep, if you're keeping the ball, you're automatically stopping the other team from outpossessing you. Um, and against Orlando, that's good because they're not really that good when they don't have it. All right, we'll talk we'll talk more about Orlando City in a little bit. Real quick though, um, you mentioned uh, Jalen Robinson and the Tulum tournament for the U.S. Under 23s. Uh, he was on that roster. Do we know if he was playing? Because we know he got some game time. Do we know if he was playing center back or fullback? Uh, I am pretty sure he was at right back, but uh, I did not see those games because of the incredible volume of soccer that we are still being uh, clobbered with at all times. And, all right. Um, and it I was don't, a necessary sacrifice. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know about that tournament, uh, but in his minutes that he's had for the return kickers this year, he's been playing center back. Yeah. He's been playing center back for the kickers? Yes. All right, so, you know, we're getting a nice jack of at least two trades uh, developed there. Um, Jason mentioned the deluge of soccer we've, we've been under, and it's not just on-the-field stuff. It's also off-the-field developments. Last week we had uh, FIFA to talk about with Sepp Blatter not stepping down but saying he will eventually someday probably step down pending an election that he himself has to set up and he may or may not ever get around to doing so. We also had a report from Jonathan O'Connell in the Washington Post about D.C. United talking to Loudoun County about building a stadium out there. We have a lot of new information about what's happening there. Most importantly was the announcement today by D.C. United and Mayor Muriel Bowser and the D.C. Council that a final deal has been reached. Uh, there is an agreement between the team and the city, and Loudoun County is off the table, at least for a first-team stadium. Uh, Charles Bohm of SoccerWire.com reported that the team wants to move its offices and training facilities and maybe uh, a USL stadium for its reserve team out into Loudoun County, be it Leesburg or, or the Dulles site that we were talking about last week. Either way, Buzzard Point is happening so long as the city meets its deadlines. And as near as I can tell, there are two deadlines that, that matter here. The first is not that far away. It's September 30th of this year. And if the team has acquired all the land on the site by that date, it has taken control of the site by that date, DC United cannot relocate. They can't say, no, actually, we're, we've changed our minds. Unless the team meets, fails to meet, rather, its next deadline, which is September 1st of next year, 2016, when they have to deliver the site to DC United to build the stadium on. If the city makes that deadline, then the team is locked in. They have 
no other recourse but to build a stadium here come hell or high water. So those two dates, which the city, from statements by Bowser and others, it seems very confident that they'll they'll make. So, Ben, Buzzard Point, yay! Yay, indeed. Um, I mean, yeah, it's great. I mean, obviously, nobody, no, no fan, let's say, wanted anything to do with Loudoun County for the DC United first team. That would have been uh, an abomination. Um, but unlike maybe others on this podcast, I am more pro uh, DC United doing, uh, making this political move, um, using their leverage and using Virginia to try and get a better deal from the District of Columbia. They're a business. They need to do what is in the best interest of their business. And they used, for once, they had leverage. They've never had leverage against anybody in the past. Uh, And at this one instance, they had leverage, and they used it, and they were able to make a slightly better deal for themselves. So while it gave us all uh, heartburn for the past week, uh, I feel like overall they were still trying to stay in the district, and they made a better deal for for themselves, and the district was more than willing to sign off on it. And Muriel Bowser's on it. Uh, Phil Mendelson is on it, and I expect it to easily pass the council, and the council has to vote on it. So I think it is a good deal all around for everybody. Yeah, I think someday maybe they'll be reporting on what actually was happening with those talks with Loudoun County, whether the team was ever considering it, whether this was an intentional leak to try to apply pressure to the team or or not, because the the team had no comment on the Loudoun County report. They didn't say we're keeping all our doors open, we're just doing our due diligence. They didn't say we are fully committed to the district. We won't. They, 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 didn't, they didn't say they anything. Didn't they, didn't, they, they literally said nothing. They literally said nothing. So I think it's, it's tough to say whether this was the prudent application of political pressure or just random happenstance and the timing is just coincidental. I mean, I think, I think given, given Jason Lovian's background in politics and his background in, uh, high stakes negotiations, I think it has to be a calculation. I mean, I could be wrong, but. Yeah, I mean. That, that's my guy. Yeah, at this point, I don't know. I still don't, if it was the application of pressure by the team, I, I still don't like that look, given <laughs> the, uh, the requests the team made of its fans in the district and given the commitments that, that Levian and others had made, it's just, it's still not a good look if that's indeed what happened. I think at this point it's probably water under the bridge and we can all I mean, look I mean, forward what, to Buzzard Point. I mean, yeah, but what's the look of the district changing the deal multiple times after the original deal was passed? In well, so the original deal was, was a framework and there were, there were, always going to be little things that they had to come to a final agreement on. It wasn't like, there's a difference. There's always more negotiations between the term sheet and the final deal. And one of those was, I remember the team saying that they were going to handle cost overruns. The, The city's budget would be the city's budget and that would be it. And apparently that's not, that, that wasn't the case at this, at that point. 
And so this deal, one of the things it does is it splits cost overruns, at least on site cleanup, 50-50 up to $20 million between the city and the team. At least that's what I saw reported. Also, I'm a hippie communist. I can't believe I'm defending a, uh, <laughs> a, a commercial enterprise, but I can't believe it's right. For me, at least, the, the whole, there's a little bit of, I guess, knowing that this is how things are run uh, altogether is not really great because let's say that this was DC United exerting political pressure and bluffing and saying, we're going to leave if you don't speed things up. Um, that's not, uh, to me, that's an unethical way of doing things, um, especially given the number of fans that showed up, like like Adam, for example, uh, district residents who showed up and testified to the team's goodwill. Uh, this sort of throws that in the trash. Uh, but also, if the council gave in on that, that just indicates that they're not actually doing a good job of their own jobs, and you just have to sort of harass them any way you can to get them to do something, um, which is also bad. Uh, and given that we have a national government that is totally ineffective unless you um, harass them or pay them, um, or, you know, pay them in campaign finance, uh, which is, um, legal. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, the, it just, it's kind of discouraging. It shouldn't be, it, things shouldn't work like this, um, for the team or for the city, but, uh, I guess, uh, you know, given how long this has taken, it's still a, when, this, when I can physically see evidence of a stadium, I'll start to feel better about it. Um, I felt pretty good the day that the bill passed the council, um, but uh, obviously that was not the end of it, that the saga was not over, and the saga is not over yet either. Um, you know, if we are standing with um, city officials and they've got their various um, golden shovels or golden scissors or whatever they're going to make out of gold uh, for show that day, um, that might start to feel like something is going on. But really, I, what I want to do is I want to be there the day that, like, the concrete truck shows up to start putting down a foundation. Um, I want to see that uh, rather than the ribbon cutting or what have you. I, I assume that that would just be the next day and you just show up during construction business hours uh, and stand around until you see a concrete truck pull up. Um, I hope it's that simple. It's probably not that simple, but um, that's what I would like to be the case. Let's turn our attention now to uh, back back to the field. DC United will visit the Citrus Bowl and face Orlando City FC this Sunday at 7 p.m. That'll be on national TV, Fox Sports 1, so don't count on watching it on MLS Live. You have to get cable or get to don't a bar count, or something. Don't ever count watching anything on MLS Live. That's probably wise advice, Ben. Uh, the Lions are currently sitting fourth in the East, one spot behind Toronto FC. Uh, but they're 11 points behind D.C. United, having played two fewer games. MLS schedule is wacky, as always. Uh, Orlando City are unbeaten since D.C. United beat them at RFK 2-1 to one back on May 13th. Since that time, uh, Orlando has wins over L.A. and Chicago bookending two draws. That's right. They've only played four games since we last played them. DC United, of course, have played six. I said MLS was wacky. I lied. MLS is stupid in some departments. Scheduling is 
one of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, at one point, the Montreal Impact are just going to play, like, seven games in a week. Because they've yeah. played, like, nine games this entire season. Yeah, and this game will be the halfway point of DC United's regular right. season campaign. Montreal's a quarter of the way through their schedule. Yeah, there's... I just don't have words to... Pew-pew-boom. Yeah, that's a... Yeah, pew-pew-boom, Ben. That is correct. That is certainly not incorrect when it comes to MLS scheduling, because apparently anything goes. Jason, what's what's the story now with, with Orlando City? Um, and to narrow that down, what position is Greg Shea playing at this point? Because he's kind of shifted back and forth between left-back and, and left midfield, and depending on what they needed. He was supposed to be a left back, but then they really needed a left midfielder, and so he stepped up to the wing, and is he back at fullback now? Uh, well, th- the idea, I think, is that he's going to stay at left midfield because Kevin Molino was injured, and the way they had lined up before was that Molino was on the right, Kaká's in the middle, and um, Eric Avila had taken over at left midfield because... Lewis Neal was injured. Um, Carlos Rivas uh, was injured, and also just he's a young player trying to adjust to a brand new league. Um, so Avila had sort of taken over at the left midfield just by he he hadn't really played well at left midfield. He played well in other positions, and it was just sort of a well, this guy's in form somewhere, so let's give it a shot. Um, but then uh, I I guess part of the the fact that they can stay with Shea in the midfield is that Luke Bowden who before they got Breck Shea, they talked all about how they thought Luke Bowden was ready to play in MLS. I think I saw um, Adrian Heath refer to him as a uh, top-five MLS left back before they'd ever played a game in the league, which is a, maybe a stretch. Um, Luke Bowden's a good player, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think I maybe... Adrian Heath. Right, that, you know, a little too high on the praise uh, for him. But um, right now, I would expect uh, Shea to... The, well, actually, this weekend, I guess there's the question of how much he plays uh, with the national team. Yeah. Um, so we might not see him play, um, but if he were if he were to play, I would expect it to be at left midfield rather than in the back. Um, Carlos Rivas only played an hour in the what was it against Columbus. Um, Eric Avila is still healthy. Luis Neal actually did come back against Columbus. It was his first appearance in ages for them due to a neck injury. So. They've got some more options there, but I would still expect that if Shea is in town and is past, um, you know, fit enough to start, if, if he doesn't have too many minutes on his legs, that he would be uh, playing a left-wing role rather than in the back. Otherwise, maybe we actually will see Lewis Neal. That would be Yeah, it's, it's, it's possible, at least emotional. as a sub. At least as a sub. Um, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if he plays as a sub, especially if... Orlando is protecting a lead because that's something he's very good as we we saw last year he's very good at coming into a game and just keeping the ball um and since yeah, Orlando hopefully, won, hopefully Orlando will not be protecting a lead right at, at and, any point know, they're they're already a team that wants to keep the ball so for them to bring in a fresh player who wants to keep the ball maybe more than most players um then that's good for them but you know if 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 he's kept out of the game because United has forced them to chase uh, chase the game and send in, uh, for example, the Columbus game I brought up, they were down 2-1. to one. They brought in an extra striker. They went to two forwards. They eventually got the goal they were looking for, but um, the point was that they were they were pursuing a game, and, and that's maybe something they're not great at. Obviously, this is a bad example since they came back and got the draw, but 
um, you definitely want them to be in a position where they're having to throw guys in because they get a little disorganized uh, when, whenever they've done that that I've seen. Let's talk a little bit more about their forwards. Early in the year, there is a lot of question about who their best forward was and who should be starting for them. They went through a few guys. Uh, Kyle Laren, I think, is actually probably the answer to that question for them, but he's going to be missing this weekend because he's with the Canadian national team. So who is going to start up front for the Lions? Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of a fascinating issue for them. Um, the they brought Kyle in, Aaron, of course, scored against us at RFK yes. in that and, game, and, and has started to really find it. I think he's on four or five goals now for the season. Uh, all of a sudden, um, after not really having not really even gotten minutes at first, he couldn't really break into the team. Um, they brought in a player, a, a Northern Irish player named Martin Patterson from the English third division. Uh, he was supposed to be the guy that carried them for at least the first part of the season. I think their initial plan was that they would sign a Brazilian, another Brazilian player, uh, on a big transfer in the summer window. Um, and Patterson, the whole thing was he, he was on loan and then he's going to be a free agent at the, when his loan expires with Orlando, he will also be a free agent so they could just sign him if they wanted to. Um, he's mostly been injured. He only just played his first minutes, uh, a week ago, a week or two ago. Um, doesn't really seem like the answer. Uh, I don't think he's a better player than Kyle Laren. He certainly doesn't fit their their needs better than Laren does. Um, my guess is that we're going to see Pedro Ribeiro, um, who has scored two goals, but has also directly forced two more own goals by basically barreling into people because he's a giant man. Um, Ribeiro is, is kind of an interesting player because he was drafted having been an attacking midfielder in college, uh, he's six foot four. He's built like a target forward or like a center back. Philadelphia Union, uh, in their infinite wisdom, tried him as a center back because that's what they do when they get a striker, uh, is they try, try to make you a center back. Um, they tried that. It didn't work. Um, they moved him back up front. That didn't really work either because he was a rookie and they hadn't, they had spent weeks trying to teach him how to be, uh, the opposite of a, a striker. And, and he played a lot of number 10. In college too, he was a playmaker yeah, in college. Right, a really he was, oversized he was a, playmaker, which right should so fit he, in really well with Kaká because Kaká's an right. oversized playmaker. And, and that's kind of something that that comes into his game. When you look at him, you expect him to be this big, bruising, old school sort of um, center forward. Um, but he's actually really comfortable with the ball at his feet. He's got a good first touch. Um, if anything, it looks like he's sort of learning how to use his frame. Uh, to be a more effective target forward rather than the normal thing where you've got this big college striker who is good at knocking people aside but isn't really good at the soccer side. Um, he's pretty good with the ball. He's just got to learn how to use his body a little more effectively, more consistently. I mean, obviously he's scored two own, or he's created two own goals through his physicality, so he's not bad at it. Um, and he's also got a pretty good long-range shot. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, his goal against Columbus was from long range. I think that was the goal that he scored from uh, a good 25, 30 yards out. So um, Laren's absence takes some speed away from, from uh, Orlando up front. They're not going to be able to get in behind as well, but Ribeiro might be better back to goal, which means involving Kaká a little more which Kaká is really good, uh, in case you haven't noticed in the previous two times we played them. Um, so that might, it, he might be, 
it's interesting. He might be a better pairing for Kaká. He might not be the best player for Orlando City, but he might be a better partner for Kaká in that he's he's going to give him the ball over and over again, laying it off to um, Kaká in those spaces just underneath um, where Ribeiro is going to set up. So it wouldn't be a filibuster preview of a game against Orlando City if we didn't check in with Ben Bromley for a rage <laughs> check. Still 100%. They're still awful. <laughs> they have done nothing to reduce their awfulness. And have only done more. So, yes. They're still awful. Just go. If you want to go to any of their sites, any of their Twitter accounts, just go so, there, imbibe it. So, on a scale of 1 to 800,000. 800,000 being the Red Bulls. Yes. How many fiery suns, or with how many fiery suns worth of passion do you hate them? I mean, obviously I'm biased because I have Richmond Kickers, USL, a hatred towards Orlando City. But for me, at this very moment, I hate them more than anyone, any, any MLS team that is not the New York Red Bulls. More than more than the fire, more than the fighting Matt Reese's, more than any other MLS team that is not the New York Rebels. All right, that was a that was a productive rage rage check. Then I think we've made a lot of progress. <laughs> I hate them. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll talk about it more in our next session. So DC United has won the two previous meetings between these two teams. All time, both of them coming this season. Uh, the first one was at the Citrus Bowl, and as we discussed earlier, DC United were sorely outplayed, but yeah. managed to win thanks to a bit of Luis Silva magic on a free kick late, late, late in that one. Jason, how, very quickly, how does DC United get the season sweep this weekend? Well, I think we need to see the the same cutting edge on offense where in both games, DC's been really good at turning chances into goals. Um, now that Fabian Espindola is back, now that he's he's probably not going to be constantly attacked uh, by the uh, Orlando center backs, they're not quite as uh, savvy, I guess, is, is the nicest way to put it as Perkis was um, with Chris Rolfe. Uh, we're probably going to have a game in which Espindola and Rolfe start, and Silva might be in the game with those two. Um, I think turning chances in, into a real danger is, is a big thing for United always, but especially against Orlando because they tend to dominate possession. They're going to – they play 4-2-3-1, so they're going to outnumber us in the central midfield. Um, so it's going to be a game in which United is maybe looking at 45, uh, 43% of the ball, somewhere in there. Um, going much lower than 43 is not favorable. Um, you, you have to give a certain, you have to expect a certain loss of possession in just based on the formations and based on the fact that Orlando wants to keep the ball. Um, but you, you know, you want to limit that because you don't want to end up like the first game in which, you know, if we played that game in those circumstances nine times out of 10 or even 99 times out of 100, that result does not end up the way it did. Um, you end up giving up a goal, especially since we don't know that Bill Hamid is even going to be healthy. Um, we know that he, uh, I saw reports that he trained some today, 
but there wasn't a, he wasn't training at 100%. He wasn't training the entire session. Um, and then so, Dykstra played really well again. Yes, and Dykstra has played really well, but his ceiling is still not. I mean, Bill Hamid had to play to his ceiling in Orlando to keep the shutout in that game. Dykstra, as good as he is, is not keeping a shutout yeah. in those circumstances, and we can't repeat that. And even if even if Bill Hamid repeats that performance, you don't want to. You still don't want him to have to do so much. Um, we what we want in any soccer game is for Bill Hamid to be bored to tears, just standing there looking miserable because he can't have anything to do. Um, but uh, the main thing is you've got to keep some of the ball. Um, you don't want Kaka to get really in any time and space, which which Orlando hasn't really been that great. They're not really that good at giving him time and space. Some of their players get too narrow. Um, they get too close to him, and he has not as much room because people draw defenders in. Um, I know they want to stay narrow because they like to keep the ball. They like to connect all these passes. Um, another thing is, uh, in central midfield, they're a little unfamiliar. Amobi Okugo has been uh, dropped recently. Um, but I don't know. We might see him come back because Darwin Saren is playing for El Salvador in World Cup qualifying, which, believe it or not, already starts for some countries, um, including countries like Canada and yep. El Salvador. Um, and for the United States, doesn't it start this fall? Yeah, it starts in like November. Yeah. Um. So so it's a ways off for the United States, but for for countries that are not at the top of Concacaf, it's about to get started. Um. So Saren is arguably El Salvador's best player, so he's definitely going to play those games, which means he might not be able to play this game, which would mean Okugo comes back. And I actually think, um, given you know, yes, Okugo's form hasn't been great in Orlando, but he's still, if you ask me in a vacuum to pick a defensive midfielder off of Orlando City's roster. I'm taking Amobi Okugo. Um, so his return might actually not be uh, so bad of a thing. Um, Aurelian Collin might be back as well. Um, huh. So we're going to face a pretty good version of Orlando, um, which means that United, and Orlando's place in the standings, I think, is maybe not indicative of how good they are. I think they're a little better than their place in the standings uh, would point to. Um, their problem is just a lot of it has just been mental. Um, they're getting a lot of the process side right. They're just not. They don't quite have that cutting edge to make the good, the good things they do turn into something positive. Um, especially at home where they tend to get draws and losses. They've got a, very few home wins. They've got very few home goals. It took them a long time to even get a goal at home um, that wasn't an own goal. So um, being sharp uh, in the first half is going to be big. We don't want it to turn into a the last game sort of felt like it was downhill uh, for Orlando the entire time. Um, make them do a little running, make them do some defending because they aren't really that. They're not a team that's. That, I think their their possession play and their focus on attacking is all well and good, but I don't think they spend much time thinking about the fact that they might not always be doing those things. There's sort of a Portland thing going on where they aren't really mature enough to realize that you don't just because you want to attack all the time doesn't mean you get to attack all the time. And uh, they can be caught out. There's a little immaturity there. Um, Rafael Ramos loves to attack, but is kind of vulnerable going the other way. Um, but he's the right back, so that's something to look for. Luke Bowden has only played three or four MLS matches at this point. Um, so there's definitely some vulnerability. I also think um, it might be a little harder to find goals just because Tally Hall is in instead of um, Donovan Ricketts. And Donovan Ricketts is not really that good of a goalkeeper at this point in his, his career. Uh, Tally Hall is, is a big improvement for them. So um, it's going to be a difficult game, despite the fact that Orlando has, what, like 50% of the points of D.C. United. 
Um, it, it, it's one of those games that on paper looks like it should be easy. It should be a game that DC has all the pressure on them, but it's not really going to be that easy because Orlando is a little better than they, they maybe get credit for. All right. That's it for MLS stuff. We're going to close the show now with the ongoing World Cup up in Canada. Uh, USA Women's National Team uh, kicked it off on the right foot with a 3-1 win over Australia on Monday night. Um, now, as, as we record, the entire first set of games uh, is in the books for every team. The first of three group stage games uh, is behind us now, and we have an idea, at least, of, of who's looked good and who hasn't. We'll talk about that a little bit, but let's start with this with this USA game. We had goals from uh, Megan Rapino's right foot, Rapino's left foot, and Christine Press. Ben, what did you make of, of the U.S.'s first effort? I mean, it was all right. Obviously, uh, I love seeing Megan Rapino do well. I love seeing Christine Press do well. Uh, I would have preferred to see Christine Press up top and not on the right lane because she's not a right winner at all. Uh, but it's it's an interesting team. It's uh, Jill Ellis is Jill Ellis, and I'm sure Jason will go on about Jill Ellis. <laughs> but, uh, wait, wait, wait! Are you saying Jason can talk at length about subjects including tactics and <laughs> squad selection? Because I'm not sure I may, that, I may that there's evidence to support that. that. I'm not sure there's evidence to I support mean, that. I am a little biased towards Jill Ellis just because she is a graduate of the College of William and Mary, as am I. But, um, yeah, she's not been great overall. And uh, I just hope things, easy things like making Kristen press a forward uh, will be figured out. So, Jason, before we get to the tactics, I just want to point out that for those of us who read the internet, mm-hmm. we we all know that even though the USA won three to one, the Matildas are clearly <laughs> no, the better sorry, side. The, the Westfield Matildas. The Westfield shopping malls uh, Matildas. If you if you have ever had a job in a Westfield mall, it's particularly amusing to you, uh, it, um, as it is to me because I worked at a mall at one point <laughs> in a Westfield mall, Westfield Annapolis. Hashtag Annapolis. Hashtag Maryland. <laughs> um, yeah, Jason, uh, yeah. give some background on okay. on that. So, so last night, maybe around eleven o'clock or so. No, um, I, I want to hear more about Westfield Mall first. Uh, it's not that great. The place I used to work is now one third of a Victoria's Secret. It used to be a, a, a framing shop, but they turned the Victoria's Secret just cannibalized it when they wanted to grow. Damn it, also, Ben! The company went out of business. But, uh, no, around 11 o'clock last night, um, the Australian Football Federation, or Football Australia, I think is their, their, the name they want to go by, um, they put out their three things we learnt, uh, which is a, <laughs> a pretty fun, uh, twist of grammar that I guess is, is for the Queen, uh, the Queen's subjects, uh, which, remember, Australia's head of state is a lady in England. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think they're like Canada in that they haven't grown up and you know dealt with it on their own. Correct. They um, are they are a member of the Commonwealth of Nations. They, have, right. they haven't thrown tea into a harbor. Well, not, not yet. Um, they should. They should. 
Um, but, you know, pick the right one. You don't just want to pollute your harbors. you got to pick one where maybe there's not any useful um, wildlife. Also, anyway. tea, also, tea is good, so you should always throw bad tea into... Yeah, I mean, you can find tea that's no good and throw it. You don't have to just throw whatever. But, um, so they posted a, a three things we learned uh, about uh, this game, and the, the instead of talking about what they learned about Australia, they mostly talked about what they, they felt that they had learned about the United States, which is that, that apparently the United States is terrible and horrible at soccer, uh, but somehow won the game anyway. Um, some of their points are actually accurate if you subtract, if you take the tone out of it. Um, the fact if that if you take the hot takes out of it, yeah, uh, you know, the tone was that uh, the United States was awful and Australia had been completely brilliant in every way possible, and, but had lost the game, and there was no real explanation as to why they had lost. Um, some of the problems with the U.S. are true. Um, the co- the plan from the two coaches, the respective coaches, Australia's plan was much better. It was much more thought out and cohesive, and it made sense. Um, the U.S. plan is kind of nonsense. Um, yes, the, the Australians play a more modern game. Um, they play a formation that hasn't uh, suddenly become the, you know, the, the answer for terrible soccer at all times, as if you can't play terrible soccer in other formations other than a 4-4-2. Um, that, this is... This is not true, by the way. Uh, if you play 4-4-2, you don't have to play bad soccer. Uh, this is something that people kind of get caught up in and get wrong all the time. Um, basically, the tone that if they had just talked about Australia and the things they had done well, they would have had plenty of to talk about and they would have had plenty of good points to make. And instead, they came off like um, someone's passive-aggressive ex that is just salty about everything, but doesn't want to be upfront about how salty they are. Um, it, it was, it was, it was absurd. It was an absurd article. You, you would never expect a, a, a PR person for the National Soccer Federation to write something like this, but there it was, uh, in all of its, uh, glory, question mark. Apparently, apparently Tom Somani or someone related to Tom Somani happened to be the, uh, PR person for the FFA. Really? Yeah, that would go. That would that person is the like diametric opposite of Tom Sermani. Yes, but also is very sympathetic to what happened to Tom Sermani. Oh, well, okay, which is true. But you know, Tom Sermani is is the last person. Like when well, he, yeah, he, he is the nicest, the, most the chill day he person. Was, the day after he was fired by U.S. Soccer, he had to answer questions about it, and it was like completely polite, and he didn't want to throw anyone under the bus, oh, yes. even though he had every right to throw everyone under the bus. He's the including, best. And I wasn't even there or involved in this. He could have thrown me under the bus and I'd been like, alright, fine. That's fair. Um, no, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't understand how, uh, I, I guess families are, every, everyone's family has uh, an oddball. I don't know if he's the oddball or if, uh, the crazy person that wrote that article is the oddball, but somebody clearly is on the extremes in this case. So, uh, before we get to the broader field, Jason, anything else you want to talk about the U.S.'s plan and Jill Ellis, or if I, if I limit you to 30 words or less? 30? How am I going to count 30 words while I'm talking? You're using them up right now, dude. I'm just going to, I'm going to talk briefly and, and we'll, we'll have to meet, we'll have to meet halfway. It'll be brief. That's already 30 words. That's 30 words. Right. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> um, not Basically, that we have any control over the show and can stop right. it. Right. Uh, it, it's just going to happen. 
Um, basically, the, the 4-4-2 they're playing just doesn't make any sense for the players involved. It hasn't for a while. It's the same problem. Um, Jill Ellis has just decided to deal with it by putting her head down, shutting her eyes, covering her ears, and charging forward. Um, which never really fixes your problems unless you're trying to, like, run through a, like, a paper, uh, barrier. Like at, um, high school football games. You can get through your paper barrier that way. Other than that, in real life, these, this is not how you solve your problems. Um, Lauren Holiday is not a defensive midfielder. She didn't play like a defensive midfielder in this game. Um, Australia took advantage of the fact that Holiday and Carly Lloyd are both attacking players. Um, Australia in the first half did a really good job of playing the ball wide right because Kristen Press is not a right midfielder for in, in a in a four three three uh, as a right forward she's she's a very good fit in a four two three one where she's a right winger where she's further up the field it works in a four four two you need more of think about Nick DeLeon for example he's not um, staying wide he's not only thinking about attacking. Um, it's a similar issue, and in this formation, you need someone that's more defensively responsible. Um, Kristen Press had a bad game despite scoring a goal. I think she's a great player. Um, she just belongs up front, and it's transparently obvious that she belongs up front, especially on a team in which all the other forwards have some sort of issue hanging over them, um, be it fitness or age or uh, quality. Um, Kristen Press should be starting up front. It should be Kristen Press plus somebody else in this case. Um, but uh, Heather O'Reilly would have been a good fit in this form. If you're going to play this formation, you need somebody that's going to cover for everyone else. She has been basically buried on the bench for no apparent reason. Um, and so the, the U.S. really struck. The only thing they really got right um, in this game was to, in the second half, they figured out that if they just kept playing the ball to the left, Australia wasn't going to do anything about it because Lisa Devana is also a more of a forward than a winger. She was playing as a right winger, and she ran out of gas. She couldn't do the running that was required to go cover Megan Rapino. And guess what? Everything the U.S. did happened because Megan Rapino did it. Um, and the Australians weren't savvy enough to cut that off somewhere, whether it be make a sub, get Fanta off the field, and bring somebody else in, or shift their formation. They just did nothing. They just kept um, the the image from my, in my head of the second half is like Becky Sauerbrunn passing to Megan Rapinoe from central defense, um, and the Australians just did nothing about it. Um, so that's nice for the U.S. But if I'm if I was this at one point the crowd, the camera actually caught the Swedish uh, coaching staff in the stands. They I'm sure every one of them has a note that written in Swedish that says don't let the U.S. pass from central defense to Megan Rapinoe. Uh, make it difficult, and I'm sure the Nigerian coaches did the same thing. They wrote the same thing down because, of course, um, because that was the only thing that the U.S. adjusted to change this game. And in spite of having so much more talent than the Australians, they ended up making really hard work of this game because the tactics are just, they're bad. They don't make any sense. And it doesn't, it, we've had a year of evidence that says it's not going to change, so don't expect it to change for the next game. Why can't we just bring in Shannon Box or Morgan Bryan for Abby Wambach and switch? Well, to- Morgan Bryan came in, but she got she got stuck playing uh, right midfield. Yeah, yeah, but in a sensible situation where people. Are no, I know. You I know why we can't do that because Jill Ellis. That's, that's I mean, an easy answer, Ben. It, it might actually make sense if Jurgen Klinsmann took over this team. He might actually, like the way he wants to play, might actually make sense here. 
despite the fact that I've never seen Jill Ellis and Jurgen Klinsmann in the same room, so I'm not convinced that they're different people. I think I think Klinsman would just tell the players that they need to do more fitness and would have tr- three a days during the tournament because that's obviously what they. I need. mean, he would have done that beforehand, but I, I don't know. Maybe he would have thrown different. I no, he wouldn't. Also, there's a zero percent chance. Stop me from talking. There's a roughly zero percent chance he would have brought Abby Wambach to the World Cup. I will, and, and you know her what? club but situation been, or lack thereof. That would have been fine. That would have been an acceptable move because, quite frankly, if if any other player on the planet, men or women, said that to their national team coach, the national team coach would say, "Well, then I don't know if I can call you in." Um, except, I mean, maybe we're maybe if we're like talking about tiny countries where they've got one or two players that are professionals. Um, if Andorra um, has one player that's playing in like the Spanish second division, and he says, well, "I don't feel like if, playing this year because we made the World Cup," it, we're if, Andorra. If, so mess, if Messi had immigrated to Andorra. Well, see, Messi would never say that, though, uh, is the whole, you know, the the idea itself is so ludicrous as to be, like, an instant, like, well, then if you're thinking like this, I can't call you in. Uh, Let me know if you change your mind. Um, So that's, I mean, I won't say that that's why Wombach played badly in in the last game. She wasn't very good, but she did have a part in the first goal, at least. Um, But she had several chances that you would have expected her to score that she missed, and I can't help but think that, not, not so much the games that she, it's only three or four games she would have missed as an NWSL player, but the day-to-day training with other professionals who are hungry to win games right, rather than playing pickup pick games with Nike aren't right. Um, yeah, those people are not hungry to win games; they're hungry to sell shoes and T-shirts. Um, they have a different focus in their lives, and, and so they're not. FIFA? They're not. Well, yes, I'm sure uh, one of those guys would have been allegedly trying to bribe uh, Brazil to stay with Nike instead of going with somebody else, uh, allegedly. But um, 20 years ago. Yeah, but um, I can't help but think that there's an additional sharpness that would have been there. I mean, those are, those months are lost, and yes, they've had a training camp. Um, they've been together, and obviously she's been having to fight for time with the rest of the women's national team in those, in those training sessions, but that's still a couple months of lost time. It just, it just doesn't make any sense, but the, the crazy thing about this team is as many flaws as there are and as many things that don't make any sense that are transparently wrong that should be fixed, they're also They could talented. still win this thing. <laughs> right, and this game kind of summed it up because they were talented enough to pull themselves out of the fire regardless of the flaws. Australia had a better plan. They were, they were ever, on all ends, uh, except for fitness, on all ends they were better than the U.S. They were, they, they were smarter about it. They weren't better. They don't have better soccer players, though. Um, Australia would kill, if if Megan Rapinoe played for Australia, she would be by far their best player, by far. And with the U.S., it was like, well, if she's uh, a little off, she might not even start games. Um, this team has an incredible amount of talent. They can always they can always beat any team they're facing. It's just a matter of which game is it where the tactics are going to get in the way. Um, which which team is going to be smart enough and and able to save their legs long enough so that in the last thirty minutes don't become all about the fact that you know, like Australia did they just ran out of gas and they couldn't do the running anymore and uh, the U.S.'s pretty you know basic ways to get around it ended up working. Eventually, someone's going to be fit enough where that doesn't happen. And is there you know what's the next adjustment? Probably nothing. It's probably you know Ellis's subs were. Let me send in uh, Tobin Heath for Kristen Press to play on the wing, which is 
kind it's not quite the same problem, but it's close enough because Heath is an attacking winger rather than a 4-4-2 midfielder. She's not coming inside very much to help with possession. She's not comfortable with helping the central midfield, which is something that Press suffered from. Um, you know, Alex Morgan comes in, she needs minutes, but she's replacing Sydney LaRue. The, the formation stays the same. The the idea stays the same. Uh, nothing changes there. Um, th- these are the these are the issues you, you you have to look at. There's just no adjustment to reality with this team, and but they could also overcome it over and over again. They're that talented that they could overcome this in multiple. You know, how many games would it be? Six games to win the tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could overcome it five more times and go undefeated and win the World Cup. They're that good, uh, which makes it kind of sad because if they had a half-decent coach, you wouldn't have to worry about this. You would say, oh, of course they're going to, they're overwhelming favorites. Now it's just they're one of the favorites. So the U.S. obviously underwhelmed a little bit, at least, even even in a 3-1 to one win. Uh, let, let's talk some other teams that may have impressed or, or not impressed. Germany, you hang 10 goals on anybody in a World Cup game. You, you get top billing. Yeah. Um, I, we don't have to talk anything more about that. Well, that was, that was not yeah. a match so much as it was a, 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 a murder. <laughs> There's an impressive mental discipline in a game where you're vastly superior to your opponent and you continue doing the right things and... You know what it reminded me of? Was that? It reminded me of Germany, Brazil in the World Cup last year. Yeah, I, I mean, except you know, Brazil <laughs> and that were, game were mentally broken. Whereas, except Brazil was supposed to be one of the best teams in the world. Yeah, but nobody, everyone knew that outside right. they, of they Brazil, were fragile. they were fragile. Yeah, but everybody still, outside of Brazil. This was knew not that a Germany. This was, was not a, a question of fragility. The, the <laughs> Germany's ten nothing win was not a question of uh, playing a fragile opponent. It was just that you know they, they were, were ten goals better. Vastly superior at soccer in all of the ways that you can be, and this is what happens sometimes. So Germany's the number one club or team, not club. They're the number one side in the world right now. USA is number two. Number three is France, who played today against England, another top ten side. And and France looked, frankly, much much better than England, but they could only manage the one goal. They won one to nothing, and, and it was a goal that. England's goalkeeper might have. I saw. I, I didn't watch the game, but I saw the goal highlight, and I saw that um, it's a great shot from um, Le Somme, But but England's goalkeeper probably should be able to. She her hands were there. She really should have been able to do something with that. You know, at least get her hands. If it goes off her hands and goes in, so be it. But it was also a shot that was not completely unlike Jovinko's goal. Uh, against DC United, where yeah. it's just a ridiculous shot. I yeah, mean, it's a, it's it was in shot. it was in less space, and it was it was placed decently well with power. And I mean, it was it was a turnover in England's half that, yeah. that France pounced on. But France did not look as right. impressive as I would have thought. I, I I enjoyed following the game along. I think um, Kevin McCauley, who is uh, an SB Nation colleague of ours. Um, Kevin repeatedly noted that he just didn't have much to say about the game because it had been kind of boring, kind of uneventful. Yeah, um, both both sides ran out of ideas of like, as soon as they right. entered the it, final third. It, it you know, it, it what came across to me following on Twitter was just that both teams seemed satisfied with a one nothing result for France. England was willing to accept that scoreline, and France didn't have anything else to say about it. And uh, that's what happened, which is kind of a shame because France France has maybe the most technically gifted group of players in the entire tournament. Um, 
they should be clever enough to break down uh, an organized defense. Uh, England isn't a bad team by any means, but they're you know if you if all you're going to do is sit back and defend at a certain point, you're you're begging to be scored upon. And um, I know the game was played in pretty bad weather. Um, there was there was a, a downpour early, and then a, I guess there was a downpour in the second half, a different unrelated downpour. Um, maybe it was the weather that we had yesterday. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess when both teams decide on a result and one team already came in bunkering, then sometimes this happens. It's just uh, the way of the world. I, I guess if, if France continues to have problems uh, creating a lot in the next game, then you've got to think there's a problem. But this one, maybe you just chalk it up to England saying, ah, one nothing loss, we're okay with this. We, we accept this, this result. All right, uh, back to the USA's Group D. Uh, the other match in in this group was Nigeria and Sweden, yeah. who this is probably the shock result of the tournament so far. Drew three to three. Uh, Sweden was up two two to nothing at one point, and, and three to one, and and three to one, and Nigeria yeah. came back. And Nigeria, it, it has to. This be is a game they, they could have finished like seven to six. As yeah, well. this but, was a ridiculous but, game. Yeah, Nigeria, if they keep playing like that, they are going to be the darlings of this tournament. They're going to get out of the group stage, maybe as the, the third team in, in the group. Cause I think of the six groups, the top four. Right. The top third, four. Because it's place. 24 teams, um, it's, it's to go back to World Cup 1990 rules, uh, on the men's side. Um, right. the, the four, the, the two worst third place teams don't get through, which is not really fair because you're being judged on results against you know, if you're if you're in the U.S.'s group, a much tougher situation than if you're, um, uh, for example, Cameroon. Uh, what was it? Cameroon won six nothing today. Um, who did they play again? Ecuador. Um, in any case, maybe, Cam- yeah. Cameroon and somebody else that had never been in the tournament both played each other. Cameroon won six nothing. They are almost certainly going to get through, even if they finish, even if they lose their other games and they finish third, they're still going to get through on goal difference, most likely to the knockout stage, um, despite having played maybe the worst team in the tournament, give or take. Um, so it's not really an ideal way to do it, but if you have a 24-team tournament with a group stage, where the group stage has four teams, this is the result. Go ahead. So back to Nigeria. They yeah. they were a lot of fun. They were they were direct. They were athletic. They had ideas. They, they weren't always good ideas in the final third, but they were, right. they were a fun team to watch, and they managed to overcome Sweden's dominance on set pieces, especially corner kicks. Sweden yeah. basically ran the same corner kick play, and it worked every single time. Yeah. They just kept doing it over and yeah. over, where they put well, there, a million people no inside to... the goal. Yeah. yeah, there's no reason to change your mind if it's going to keep working. All right, well, Adam uh, vanished into the ether, so um, I, I guess... Uh, Basically, what we were getting at with with Sweden and Nigeria was that the game was awesome, and Nigeria plays pretty good soccer. And actually, you can see one of their best players, the player that scored the equalizer in that game, uh, Francisco Ordega, uh, up at the soccerplex playing for the Washington Spirit, which is pretty awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, this has been a long show, and we're just going to call it uh, now that we've lost Adam or chased him away. You'll never know uh, which one it actually was. Um, so uh, I guess. Oh, I guess uh, the one thing I was going to bring up before the end: the U.S. Uh, Netherlands game was crazy. That's it. It's a one sentence uh, thing. Um, 
So for uh, Ben and Adam, uh, this is Jason. Uh, you should. I, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, send your hate mail to uh, filibusterpodcast at gmail dot com, um, or or you know other or, mail or at goatmail dot com. Yeah, if, if you have if you have goats that you want to send us, uh, send them via email. I don't know how you're going to do that, but you know that's on you. If you send us a goat via email, that would be amazing. Um, and I'm not saying a picture. We we clearly we mean an actual goat that up springs from your computer uh, through email, um, or just a picture. That's also fine. And we'll, we will definitely uh, retweet your goat pictures if you send them to us because that's what we do. And by we, I mean me and Ben because Adam's not here to stop us. Um, <laughs> is that it? Is there anything else to bring up? Nope. Just follow us on all the things. All right. You, you know what the things are, so just follow us on them. Yeah, we're we're on the the all various the social medias. Um, not on LinkedIn. I'm not on LinkedIn, and don't send me your LinkedIn invites. I don't want them. We're we're not I on L- we're not on LO either. Yeah, I don't even know what that thing is, but it's not. I'm not a part of it. Um, so yeah, definitely not. Maybe we should narrow this down. We're not on all of them. We're on the major ones. Um, but uh, yeah, that's it. We're done. Uh, for Ben, for Adam. This is Jason. Uh, say goodnight, Ben. Goodnight, Ben.